Welcome to episode two of Stops and Starts Hockey, a women's hockey podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Glavin. It's Tuesday night, late Tuesday night. I'm recording uh, this podcast episode, um, and uh, I don't think I've even recovered from the weekend yet, to be honest. I feel like Friday at five o'clock is when my energy is at its max, and then uh, I don't even feel like we've overscheduled ourselves for the weekend, but just, I don't know, I think millions of people can relate to this. Just the weekend just hits you, like being out in the sun for um, my kids' t-ball and and um, softball games. And then Sunday we went to the pool outdoors um, and then just doing like the regular get organized for the week stuff. And then Monday, Tuesday, we had errands in the evening. My son, for some reason, couldn't fall asleep today. Uh, he finally fell asleep at like 11 o'clock. Yes, 11 o'clock at night. Um so I'm already dreading tomorrow morning. Um, um, but I share all this because, uh, as I had said in a previous episode, you know, I'm going to give this the, a solo effort, this podcast. Um, and this is partly why just that, um, the season of life that I'm in right now, which is a great season of life. Um, but it's, it's a busy one. Um, and there's, to, to work in the things that also give me energy, like trying to exercise, um, or do creative stuff is such a challenge, but it's also so worth it. So I know that, um, you know, when I finally got my son to sleep, I was like, oh, I should just go to bed. But I really wanted to do this podcast episode and I know that I will feel energized by doing it. So, um, and then also I just feel like super passionate about, uh, increasing the conversation around women's hockey out there, Um, and I know that new voices are needed and, uh, different voices are needed and like my perspective matters. And, um, even if the only person that listens to this podcast might be like my dad, um, it's, uh, it feels good to participate and share what I have to say. Um, and, uh, you know, they used to have that saying a mommy blog. I don't know what a And there's also the phrase hockey mom, which doesn't make any sense anymore because we used to think that was a parent of a hockey player. But now it's so complicated because a hockey mom could be a coach, a player, a parent of a player. Um, And anyways, I'm just, what do you call a a hockey? What do you call a women's hockey podcast by someone who also likes talking about being a mom? I don't know. A mom pod, a hockey mom pod. I don't know. Anyways, here we are. There was a ton of hockey news last week, and I just wanted to touch on it and kind of share my thoughts on it. Um, One of the most uh, sort of nice things to see last week was uh, Katie Stone, who's the head coach at Harvard um, University for women's hockey. She was recognized with the 2021 USA USA Hockey Distinguished Achievement Award. Uh, This is an award that is handed out annually since 1991. Um, She's the first woman to ever win it, and it goes to um, a person who's made their career in hockey um, and has obviously left some kind of mark on the game. So um, it was nice to see Katie Stone win that award. Uh, When I think of Harvard hockey, you know, they listed out all her sort of coaching achievements. Um, They won a national championship 
um, in the late 90s before the NCAA championship was a thing. Um, she's coached at the Olympics. She's coached many Olympians at the college level. She's just been involved with the women's hockey game for a very long time. But when I think of that program and, and one of the things that I think reflects very well on Katie Stone is just um, some of the players that came out of that program and what they have done for women's hockey ever since leaving that program in many different ways they're making their mark um, these are people who I thought of just off the top of my head um, Angela Ruggiero um, is an IOC member Lindsay Fry is very involved with grassroots hockey all across America but specifically in Arizona where she um, runs the Kachinas hockey program um, and does all sorts of stuff there she's visible online etc um, I also thought of, um, Julie Chu, who played at Harvard, went on to coach and win a national championship as, as a coach at UMD and then left them and is now a head coach for a very excellent program called Concordia Stingers in Canada. Um, I thought about Katie Stone's mentorship of, uh, Maura Crowell, who is now the head coach at UMD and is very successful there. Um, and then lastly, I thought of AJ Malesko and Jennifer Botterill, who are both making their mark in broadcasting, um, in men's hockey at the NHL level, um, and then always give their talents uh, back to the women's game as well and broadcast on the women's side on those rare occasions that women's hockey gets those opportunities. So um, obviously the, the credit goes to the, all those people, all those names that I said for, for what they're doing in women's hockey, but having come through the Harvard program, there's no question that Katie Stone had an impact on those people. And so I just think about her um, running that program and clearly having some sort of impact on um, many individuals who have gone on to grow women's hockey in their own right. So I think that Katie Stone was just a very deserving person for this award, and I was glad to see her recognized for it. Um, and uh, yeah, so, th so that was just some really happy news from last week. Um, quickly on the NWHL side, you know, NWHL free agents, free agency and um, rookie uh, camps are starting to happen. So there's starting to be some hockey clips out there on Twitter, which is nice, even if they're just grainy through the netting um, hockey, hockey clips. Um, on the business side of things, the Toronto Six named Mark Joslin their head coach for next year. Uh, Mark Joslin will be the first uh, black head coach in NWHL history. Um, he's a Toronto guy. He comes from the OJHL. I don't think he has women's hockey experience, but he... Um, Seems very excited to coach the Six next year, um, and probably his first task is to get um, some assistant coaches hired because Toronto also needs new assistant coaches. Um, I know that Mark Jocelyn has said that he's reached out to Angela James, who is, of course, a Torontonian, um, um, in regards to coaching. I don't know if she's going to come on and coach or if she'll just, you know, stop in now and again and be like an ambassador kind of for the program. Um, as she certainly was on the CWHL side. Um, so, so we'll see what happens there in terms of naming assistant coaches. Toronto also needs to name a new GM as they let their GM go during the season. Digit Murphy is still the president of the, of the program, of the club, uh, but will no longer be the head coach. Um, a little bit more on the uh, international or pro league level. Um, last week, uh, Anastasia Busis, uh, who runs a podcast called CBC's Players Own Voice, 
she kicked off season four of her podcast and she had a great big star for her very first episode. She had Marie-Philippe Poulin on and uh, Poulin had some interesting comments. Um, I think that Busis and Poulin are probably like pals off the ice as well. So they had a good rapport and everything. Um, but one of the comments that Poulin made was in regards to the state of women's hockey um, at the pro level. And she said, quote, no one needs to be a hero to put that best product out there. We need to come together as one, end quote. Um, Busis may have pushed her on it and maybe Poulin didn't expand on what she meant by that. Or maybe it just wasn't shared as part of the final um, podcast episode. Um, but I was just kind of, it left me thinking like, oh, what does Poulin mean by what she just said there? Uh, I think that immediately where a person's mind goes is to think about when she says we need to come together as one, it's, is she talking about the NWHL and the PWHPA? Who knows, right? Um, and it's almost not even worth speculating. I mean, that, that whole situation is, uh, it's just, I don't even know what you say about it at this point. Um, but you know, I wanted to just extrapolate on it. So let's just say, let's just pretend she meant something else. Does she mean the media and the PWHPA has to come together as one and support each other? Did she mean the NHL and pro women's hockey needs to come together and support each other? Did she mean, um, the, the fans actually need to show up and support each other? Like, but regardless, um, when she says come together as one, I think that there's that suggestion that we haven't come together as one in the past. And it, you know, a person could even think back that, you know, to the original fight that was, I don't know if fight's the right word, the negative energy between the former um, commissioner of the CWHL, Brenda Andrus, and commissioner of the NWHL, former commissioner and founder, Danny Ryland. Um, you know, it, it kind of brings up memories of that. And, and that, that only was, you know, five or six years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it seems so long ago. And I'm like, wow, those people are, are now removed. And there still is some sort of conflict, you know, and it just makes you kind of question. It's almost feels like an inherited fight or an inherited disagreement. And, and you just wonder, um, you know, and you you just kind of wonder, like, what are we doing? Like, this has been going on, and 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 it, the struggles have gone on since before those individuals as well. And I want to stress that Andres and Rylan um, were great champions for women's hockey, um, but they were trying to also do great things with very few resources. So, um, you know, it's I'm not throwing them under the bus. What they were trying to do was was complex. And if it's true that Ryland went to Andrus and wanted to bring a, a new team to the CWHL and Andrus said no and, you know, well, maybe Andrus just isn't a terrible person. Maybe, maybe taking on another American team was the very last thing she could handle at that time. Um, but, I, you know, it also, a person needs to, when Poulin says come together as one, you know, there was books written in the 90s when the Olympics came about that, that was already talking about the future of women's hockey and imagine a pro league that's you know all across North America and you know so again like we this this mission to come together as one 
is not a new mission. It's been around for decades at this point. And, and these are some of the things that I think of when uh, Poulin says, come together as one. Even though I don't claim to know what she, what she meant by that specific statement. Um, when I think about, um, and again, with come together as one, it reminds me of in 2014 when uh, Nora Ratu retired from hockey. I think she's retired. She retires every few years and she can't seem to quit the game. Um, but, but she posted a statement, I think after the 2014 Olympics and said, you know, the resources aren't there. Um, and, and it just, you know, it was, you know, an eloquent way of basically saying like, you know, women's hockey needs to get it, get its act together, you know? And, and again, when I hear come together as one, I, I think of that statement from Nora Ratu in 2014, um, and then in 2018, when all the Olympians came home and said they were all tweeting one league. Remember at that time, the CWHL and the NWHL were both functioning. And again, it was just split resources um, and animosity. Um, so these are some of the things that I think of when I hear come together as one. Um, so I thought it was a very interesting statement from Poulin. Um, and even though I don't know what she meant by that statement, those were some things that came to mind. Um, I know that what women's hockey needs when I, I don't know the path, but, but in short, I always think it just needs money and visibility. Um, and then it just needs support from, from people who care about it. Um, and that's certainly the role that I try to play. Um, just being a fan. Um, in addition to saying, what does it need? It needs money and visibility. I would also say um, that whatever league we get, we absolutely, if you truly want what's best for women's hockey, I think the best thing is a league that operates in both countries, uh, Canada and the U.S. Um, so those that might be a big challenge, but um, I don't think anyone could say they're truly for the game. Um if they are ever going to push a league that is slanted more towards one country than the other. We've, we've had both versions of it now, and it's not the right solution. That is one thing that I will strongly stand by as a belief that we need this league to be in both countries and probably in equal uh, number of teams. So we'll see if that statement that Poulin made, you know, kind of bubbles up anywhere else. Certainly some people took note. Anya Packer retweeted it and commented on it, um, um, I believe. Um, so, um, you know, she's always a positive voice and she's saying, yes, we need to come together as one. So we'll see if anything comes of that statement. Certainly Poulin's focus right now would be on, uh, you know, now that other than the, the media that she does, prepping for the world, uh, her focus would be on prepping for the world championships. Um, now, on the topic of uh, nobody needs to be a hero and we need to come together as one, I wanted to share a very positive thing that happened last week. This is another piece of positive news. Um, Danielle Sauvageau is running a high-performance hockey center called Center 2102 out of Montreal. It's a, a center that I think hockey fans are going to hear more and more about because um, she's doing some really amazing things there. Um, people will remember 
first of all, Danielle Sauvageau, she was the um, women's head hockey coach who coached the 2002 team to gold. Um, and it, she did it on February 21, 2002, which is why this hockey training center is called Center 2102. Um, and Danielle Sauvageau has never really left women's hockey. She's been um, less visible, but she's always been there supporting Um and now is no different. So folks will remember the old Olympic Oval program that a lot of people trained out of, a lot of the elite players in Canada trained out of in Calgary. Well, that program um, was certainly a beneficial program, but it wasn't officially recognized by Hockey Canada. And like many endeavors, probably wasn't funded um, to the extent that it ought to have been um, by sponsors or any of the relevant uh, stakeholders. So um, fast forward now, almost 20 years, um, Daniel Sauvageau recognizes that um, we need a training center for these elite athletes. Um, yes, they get funding from Hockey Canada um, throughout the year, but they're, they're kind of scattered all over the place. They only have numerous camps. They don't really have like an organized, focused spot to play five days a week to get the physio that they might need, um, the coaching that they need, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what the High Performance Hockey Center is for. It's based out of the Verdun, Verdun Hockey Auditorium um, in Verdun in Montreal. Um, and it's been a multi-year project of Daniel Sauvageau. And this year they welcomed 28 athletes to train there. Um, it's funded by BFL Canada um, and Sun Life Canada, and then also has the support of Jeff Molson. Um, I don't know that Jeff Molson is a funding partner, um, but I suspect he is, um, just the, the way it was sort of written when I was reading, but, um, BFL and Sun Life are for sure. Um, but, uh, so they had 28 players training there in the past few months. Um, 10 of those athletes are now centralized with Hockey Canada, or they're going to be centralized, um, so some of the players that train there are Emily Clark, Melody Daou, Jamie Bourbonnet, Emerence Mashmeyer, Anne-Renée Desbiens, Kristen O'Neill, Aaron Ambrose, Marie-Philippe Poulin, Lauren Stacy, Laura Stacy, sorry, and Jillian Saunier, um, and then several other elite athletes who are post-college. Um, now, last week, this uh, organization got an extra $375,000 um, in funding from the province of Quebec, um, and that was announced by Isabel Charest, who is the Minister of Education, and she's also a former Olympian. So she completely understands the plight of these women who need funding and support and resources. Um, but that was just such wonderful news for women's hockey last week. Um, Sauvageau said that this additional funding from the province of Quebec will enable them to double their um, capacity to have players training at their facility. Um, I'm not sure how much pressure is on them to train Quebec born and raised or residents of Quebec. Um, but uh, I could kind of see like more PWHPA players gravitating towards Montreal to train. Um, I could also just see um, it becoming a place. I mean, also, it's kind of like obviously Montreal is a desirable city to be in for Canadians. Um, I could just see it becoming a place that 
hockey players gravitate to after they graduate college um, because they know that that's where the women's hockey scene is in Canada. Um, So that was really cool news um, to hear last week. And I think what was really cool about it was that Danielle Sauvageau has been saying previously, I guess she's done work in like other sports in Canada. And she has said that other sports, even though they're not team sports, they still have training centers and they'll always be recognized by their federation. And she has said that recognition from their federation is so important in securing funding. And this is something I heard her say in a podcast that I had listened to previously. And it was just very neat to see what she said kind of came into fruition. Like they, this hockey um, center 2102 high performance hockey center. It has the um, endorsement of hockey Quebec and hockey Canada. And just like Sauvageau said would happen, she was able to secure funding from the province in part, no doubt due to that endorsement from that federation. Um, so those partnerships between, um, um, the, the federations and the people who are on the ground doing the work to build women's hockey are just clearly very important. Um, so we'll see what happens in the future um, with this with this training program, but I thought that was awesome news last week to hear about. Um, kind of uh, another sideline story to to what Sauvageau is doing there is um, she she's it's very near and dear to her heart the fact that um, women's and girls hockey enrollment in Quebec is down. Um, relative to other provinces. So for example, Quebec is the second most populated province in Canada, but they're like fourth in girls and women's hockey enrollment. Um, and that is, I mean, it's kind of weird. I'm not really sure what the reason is, but um, she is hoping that this um, training center can be a place that sparks conversation and inspires um you know, invigorates enrollment in girls hockey and not just invigorates enrollment in girls hockey by these guys existing, but by them doing something like, like holding summits and having conversations about how can we increase girls hockey enrollment in Quebec. So that is just that whole, everything about this high performance hockey center is just awesome. And kind of like I started off the the podcast talking about Katie Stone, Danielle Sauvageau is another one who has just been an incredible champion for girls and women's hockey in Canada. Um, And, uh, you know, has these folks that just seemingly stay with the game for decades, um, the value that they impart to the women's hockey game um, is is immeasurable. And and Danielle Sauvageau is such a person. So switching gears now to the college scene... um, and also, unfortunately, switching gears to uh, kind of a crappier topic. Um, one of the things that happened last week was we started to see announcements about Robert Morris University players that are transferring and finding new homes at new um, schools. Why are they doing this? Because, of course, sadly, Robert Morris University cut their men's and women's ice hockey program a couple weeks ago. Um, Robert Morris is based out of uh, Pittsburgh, and they play in College Hockey America. Um, And there's a a lot of kind of tentacles to this story. I didn't want to talk about it today too much because, honestly, I'm just in a mood to talk about happier things than that devastation. Um... But uh, it goes without saying that um, sort of a, you know, a very 
uh, dear program, an excellent program got cut and that sucks. And I feel for all the people involved and I hate the impact that it's going to have on, on girls hockey in, in Pittsburgh and the impact that it's going to have on college hockey America. Uh, just so incredibly unfortunate, but the reason I wanted to mention it um, just was because it's nice to actually talk about hockey stuff. Um, so the three players um, who, who found a new home that has been released um, are Emily Curlett, Regan Kirk, and Lexi Templeman. Uh, it was announced that they are all going to Ohio State University, which kind of makes sense. Uh, it's not too far from Pittsburgh. So I, I think just in that, um, you know, geographically, it's just not a huge move, which is kind of nice, And you know, from one city to another city, not a not a huge move. Um, but, uh, so Emily Curlett is a defender. Lexi Templeman is a forward and they both have one year of eligibility left. Um, OSU has like a ton of players coming in next year. So I'm not sure where they're going to put all these players. Um, but you almost get the sense that they're like, and this is kind of cool. I can't, can't fault them for it. They're like, let's win now. Um, particularly with next year being an Olympic year and they already know Emma Malte is going to be, um, um, is going to be centralized with Hockey Canada. So Malte won't be there. She's their best player. Um, and then they also know that, uh, Andrea Brandley, who is their goalie, she is likely going to be gone for over a month, um, playing in the Olympics for Switzerland. So for, Coach Muserall to pick up a goalie, a defender, and a forward. Um, you know, I mean, she's got, she's losing some good players next year. So she, if there's talent out there, and I think she said a quote that kind of speaks to this, if there's talent out there, I'm going to pick it up. That's what you do. Um, Reg, but here's the most interesting thing in my mind. So Reagan Kirk, um, she's from Manitoba. She's a goalie. She has three years of eligibility left. She's used to playing. She was the starting goalie for uh, Robert Morris. And she played um, for Canada at the U18 level. And so she's coming into this situation where, like, Andrea Branley is also a starting goalie. So they basically now have two starting goalies. So I think watching that unfold will be interesting. Um, maybe... Um, maybe Andrea Brandley, even though she has two years of eligibility left because of this extra COVID year thing, maybe she has communicated that she has no intention of using that year. Um, in which case maybe Reagan would, Reagan Kirk would share with her for next year and then have two years of, you know, being the likely starter for Ohio State. I don't know. Um, but I, th I just thought, you know, Templeman and Curlett going there for a year, that made... I mean, that made tons of sense why those guys would want to go there. But Kirk is just, yeah, maybe she also thinks she can beat out Andrea Branley. Who knows? Um, or maybe after the devastation of having her program at Robert Morris cut, she's just like, whatever, I just want to go somewhere and, and be part of a team. Um, and if that means I only get to be the starter for one year of my remaining three years of eligibility, maybe she's okay with that. Um, but I thought that was just interesting. Um, the Reagan Kirk storyline there. And then just in general, you know, seeing these RMU athletes start to get, find homes at new programs kind of just, you know, solidifies what we don't want to accept, which is that, you know, the RMU women's hockey program, sadly, um, is no more at the NCAA division one level.
And the last thing I wanted to talk about was the University of St. Thomas. Um, last week, so the University of St. Thomas named their first head coach who would be head coach at the Division One level. The program has uh, been successful for years at the Division Three level, and they're going Division One in the fall, and they've named Joel Johnson um, the, the, head, the head coach at University of St. Thomas. So just tons of stuff to unpack here. So first of all, let's just talk about St. Thomas a little bit because I was not familiar with this school or program or even the conference that they used to play in. So they used to play in a conference that I believe is pronounced the MIAC. They're Division Three. They played in a um, mostly Minnesota conference, which is super cool. There was like nine, nine teams all in Minnesota in this conference at the Division Three level. Um, and very bizarre, in my opinion, the University of St. Thomas got kicked out of the MIAC because they were basically too good at like all the sports and they were just destroying everybody. Except for maybe lacrosse. Some other team is good at lacrosse. Um, so that's completely hilarious to me. Um, it just seems almost un-American. Um, I think that there's like this uh, narrative in America, like, if you want to be the best, become the best, you know? But like, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. But then like, when you really dig into it, it's like, oh, and if you can't become the best, just kick the best out of your league. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I love it. Um, kind of hilarious. So, my, um, the University of St. Tom Thomas, their AD had to find leagues for everybody. They're like, whatever, we're going to go Division One, um, and he found the um, WCHA accepted um, the University of St. Thomas into their league. Now, this is super cool because um, it just gives like a little bit more flavor to the WCHA. So the University of St. Thomas is in St. Paul. Obviously, the University of Minnesota Twin Cities is in Minneapolis. Um, so they're going to have, so that's where they're, that's where the University of St. Thomas is located. Um, the WCHA, all the other schools in their league have been in that league since 1999. Um, they're all public, as far as I know. Um, and it's Minnesota schools. And then Wisconsin, which is a Big Ten school, um, Ohio State, obviously a Big Ten school, and then obviously University of Minnesota is a Big Ten school as well. So they have three Big Ten schools um, previously, still, I should say. Um, and, and then obviously, so it's like a, their conference has, what I'm trying to say, is a Big Ten vibe to it and a Minnesota vibe to it. But what it didn't have was like a Catholic school, a private school, and now they have that in their, in their league. Um, the other thing is, so there's lots of other things, actually. The University of St. Thomas, as far as I can tell, they don't have an on-campus rink. So their rink is like eight miles from their campus. So not only are they going D1 in the, um, toughest league in the country, they don't have a rink. So like, good luck recruiting. Um, that's not to say recruiting is impossible by no means, because they're going to have all sorts of other things going for them. And they also um, have money. They have like a $500 million endowment. And they are committed to apparently supporting their programs. And their chairman of the board on their, for their college um, is apparently like the owner of a construction company. 
Um, and you contrast that with like Robert Morris, who the chairman of the board at their college was like a dude who didn't really like hockey as far as we can tell, uh, which is super unfortunate. Um, so chances are the Tommies are going to get a rink. I don't know. How long does it take to roll out such a program? Um, to build a rink. Would you say they're going to get one within five years? I don't know. Are they going to get one within a decade? Meh. If they're this supportive of, of hockey and going D1 and still being good at sports, I think a reasonable person could expect that they're going to build a rink within the, within the decade, which is kind of cool. Um, so, so we've got this new flavor to the WCHA. The WCHA has always been dominated by historically a big three now, well, and then also North Dakota may their program, you know, rest in peace. Another one that got axed. Uh, they were in it from I think 2004 through two, 2017. And they were one of the powers in the conference as well. Um, but they're dead. So other than, the, other than North Dakota, um, for the longest time, the powers in that conference were UMD, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, right? Um, and then... Um, Ohio State, which was always referred to as a sleeping giant, got a coach named Nadine Muzeral, who was formerly an assistant coach at Minnesota, and she kind of got Ohio State, like, operating, reaching their potential, or getting a lot closer to their potential than anyone else had, so now there's a big four, okay, and then, so there's a big four, I mean, UMD is relevant again, they made the Frozen Four this year. Um, and then with Joel Johnson, who is now the head coach at the University of St. Thomas, he also came from the University of Minnesota. He was the associate head coach there, um, under head coach Brad Frost. You know, people just love to think, my goodness, how quick can the University of St. Thomas get good in the WCHA? And it's a fascinating question. I don't think ever, I mean, nobody knows. We're going to find out. It's going to be great. Their very first game is against um, Ohio State. Uh, good luck. Um, you know, Lindenwood, when they went D1, I think they played their first game against Wisconsin. Um, and luck wasn't enough, right? Like, whew, these are big programs to make your D1 debut against. Um, but it's super exciting. Super exciting. Um, so there's this question of, uh, and then you should also know, and if you're listening to this podcast, unless you're my dad, you probably know um, that Joel Johnson is just a very decorated coach. He's been coaching at Minnesota for like two decades, um, has won all sorts of national championships there. He has won four gold medals with USA Hockey as the head coach of the U18 team. He's coached um, the under-22 team. He's the current interim head coach. He's going to be the head coach, I think, at the World Championships happening in a couple months. Um, so he is, um, A, an excellent hockey coach, and B, going to be just a massive draw for recruits because of his connection to USA Hockey. Um, the only question is, you know, are these recruits, I mean, he used to recruit players, and same with uh, Muzzerall, they used to recruit players to play at Ritter Arena, which is like the mecca of women's hockey rinks. Um, whereas now he's going to be recruiting them to play at this, um, you know, 1,000-seat arena eight miles off campus. 
So, you know, until, until the board maybe builds, builds them a rink. And who knows? That news might come sooner rather than later. Who knows? Um, so for myself, I just, Wisconsin and Minnesota have been, they have longevity on their side. They have been so good for so long that I'm like, there's no way the Tommies are knocking those guys off. So, um, and then you're like, okay, well, what about, what about that next tier? Ohio State and um, UMD. And on any given day, obviously, that's, it's, you know, how that top four sorts out is, 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 is up for grabs. Um, but really, it's probably um, the way I just laid it out. Um, so how quickly can the Tommies take down... Um, an Ohio State or a, or a UMD. I don't know. I, I It doesn't look easy to build a hockey program, put it like that. Um, the coaches who have had to do it, um, there's there have been good coaches in the past who have gone and started a new program or taken over a program, and it typically takes years. Um, Jeff Campersall, for example, it took him like four years, I think, to get a winning record at Penn State. Um, and the CHA is not as strong a league as the WCHA. So if it took Campersole, like who's a good hockey coach, if it took him four years in CHA, um, you know, it, it suggests that Joel Johnson's going to have his hands full. Um, one of the things I think that's going for Joel Johnson is that um, – Prior to him arriving, they kind of already cut some of the players who weren't up to par, and uh, they've already been recruiting D1 players prior to him arriving. Um, so he doesn't have to be the bad guy and, like, honor, you know, um, scholarships and, and playing space and roster space for, for folks who, who won't be able to compete against a Wisconsin or a Minnesota. So he might get his own players, his own recruits in there quicker than say a Campersall who took over at a Penn State program that um, had a nice rink, but not much more than that, really. Um, uh, just really was kind of in disarray when he got there. Um, so I'm super, so I, I don't see the Tommies beating like the top three or four on a consistent basis. I, don't, I have no idea when that's going to happen. It's, I don't, it's not happening next year. I think the questions are more, what is their non-conference um, um, win-loss record going to look like and, and how quick is it going to be a winning record and then how quick can they make it to number five in their conference and that opens up a different question like if they skyrocket to number five in their conference it opens up questions about like well what's the problem at St. Cloud, Mankato, and Bemidji why can't those programs be good um, you know so um, those programs are not going to roll over. They're not going to make it easy for the Tommies. So the WCHA kind of has a lot of interesting stuff going on, put it like that. Um, and then I just kind of wanted to, uh, throw it out there. So I just, you know, I love a little bit of hockey history and I don't think I ever have the complete picture because, you know, who does and, and how, you, I mean, how, how would you, um, but I was trying to think of associate head coaches, who had won a national championship or an assistant head coach who had won a national championship um, who then walked away from the program to try to go start out on their own. And I was trying to think what I could come up with. And here's what I came up with. 
not very many. Um, at Providence, well, back up. So in 20, because Providence has not won a national championship. Um, at Clarkson in 2014, their assistant coach was a fellow named Matt Kelly. Um, they won that national championship at Clarkson. Matt Kelly left and took a job with USA Hockey as a scout on the women's side. Um, he scouted, I think, at all different age groups from senior on down for the women's side. Did that for several years and then took over as a head coach at Providence. Um, and, you know, since his departure at uh, from Clarkson, uh, Clarkson has won two more national championships. But Matt Kelly, you know, he struck out on his own and um, is trying to make waves in Hockey East with, with Providence. So that's one example. Um, Julie Chu is another one. As I said at the top of the podcast, Julie Chu was an assistant coach at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and she won a national championship as a coach, I believe it was 2010. Um, and then at a certain point, she left uh, University of Minnesota Duluth and ultimately became the head coach at Concordia in uh, Montreal in Canada. Um, but other than those two, Matt Kelly and Julie Chu, and now Joel Johnson, I don't know if there's ever been an associate head coach or assistant head coach who's been at a program with that level of pedigree. Um, You know, Minnesota has seven national championships, if you count their pre-NCAA one. Um, There's never, you know, and and Joel Johnson is walking away from all that and striking out on his own. And it's pretty cool. Got to give him credit for it. Um... And it will just be really exciting to watch how it goes down um, in the WCHA. Um, So I think that is a great spot to end episode two of Stops and Starts, a women's hockey podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in one week to talk about whatever news transpired in women's hockey the past week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.